In this episode of the Austin Spotlight, I interview Dr. Brenna Connor. We discuss her career path along with starting her own practice and the innovations she's had to come up with over the last couple of years. I hope you enjoyed the episode and would love it if you'd subscribe to the podcast. Good afternoon, Austin. Hope everyone is enjoying their Thursday. Uh, I am joined today by Dr. Brenna Connor uh, of Brenna Connor Family uh, Medicine, uh, who I've known for a while now. I appreciate you taking the time to uh, to join me today. Thank you, Troy. So, um, you know, wanted to have you on. I know, like, say, we connected. It's been a couple of years now. Time again, time flies. I'm I'm always amazed at how the last year and a half have felt like obviously they've been a long year and a half but they've also felt like nothing because there were so few things that happened like event wise like you didn't travel places and stuff so it's like yeah i've known you since well before the pandemic and so like, it's just kind of crazy like that's now over two years um but uh you know i love your story and kind of what you have uh built in the medical space and so wanted a chance to uh have, have you talk about that a little bit so um kind of tell us a little bit about you know who you are and what you what you're currently doing okay well thank you it's interesting yes yeah, the last year and a half of all of our lives we are um probably forever being able to mark pre-pandemic life with during pandemic and post-pandemic um it's been an interesting ride we have definitely seen a lot of people i think one of the most profound things that i have seen in the last six months especially is people wanting to take a more proactive preventative approach to their health which is awesome to see because it's what i love to do and to help people and guide them in terms of what they need to do down the road and in the years to come to make sure that they are staying strong and healthy and all of the things that fall into making those things happen. Um, I do general family medicine, which I'm board certified in family medicine. I also do integrative um, anti-aging and regenerative medicine. So in that bucket falls many different things that are more comprehensive. We take a deep dive into people's health. We take a deep dive into their overall health and sense of well-being and whether that is looking at their emotional, their nutritional, their sleep hygiene, their relationships, all of that falls into family medicine and everybody's healthcare and medical um, health and wellness sphere. And so we look at the whole picture and that's what I love to do the most. So that's what we do. And that's what we've continued to do. And fortunately have been doing a lot more of it recently. Nice. And kind of a little bit about your background then. So um, again, I'm guessing, you know, like most people, you probably didn't grow up in Austin, Texas, or at least most you know, people that you see here in the Austin area are transplants from other parts of the country. So maybe tell a little bit about kind of where you are originally from and maybe what brought you to Austin. Sure, I would love to. It's not an easy answer. I was born in California. My family moved around a lot. I lived in Ohio, South Carolina, Houston, Texas. I lived in Chicago. I lived in Wyoming. I lived in Miami. Uh, I lived in Guadalajara, Mexico for two years. So I have moved around quite a bit. I landed back in Austin uh, to do my residency in family medicine at Brackenridge Hospital, which now is no more. Um, but I moved to be back here then. Um, I knew that I wanted to most likely come back to Texas. I did interview at some programs in other parts of the country, and I decided that Texas is where I wanted to be. And I knew that if I came back to Texas, I wanted to be in Austin. So I had been here for the last almost 14 years. 
and finished my residency in family medicine and then worked in various uh, capacities doing independent contractor work for different entities before starting my own practice almost eight years ago now. And what kind of got you into deciding to get into medicine as a career? It was not a direct line for me. Um, I went to a small liberal arts school in North Texas by the name of Austin College in Sherman, Texas. And I got my degree in a Bachelor of Arts in liberal arts with a concentration in psychology. And I was not sure at that time what I wanted to do with that. Um, I did not know where I wanted to go in terms of working with people. I did work a lot with people with disabilities when I lived in Wyoming. I also did some grant writing and fundraising for some nonprofits. And honestly, probably the main reason I ended up deciding to go to medical school is because my father died at a very young age of a massive heart attack. And I realized not only okay, I really want to be preventative in my approach to my own health and my family's health, but I also, life is short and I want to do what I really want to do. And since I was a very young child, I wanted to be a physician. I just wasn't sure what that looked like. And we didn't have any physicians in the family. And so I had no idea where to begin, but I started the road and taking my prerequisites um, in the late nineties. And then I went back to school and here we are. Time, literally, time flies. You talk about pre, during, and post-pandemic life, and time just flies all the way around. I used to think that people would say that uh, doesn't really mean anything. That doesn't really happen, but of course it does. So that was probably the strongest impetus for me to go to medical school. And uh, it's definitely, definitely what I was born to do. And I'm so glad that um, I made that decision and uh, went down that pathway. It's a long one, but it's so worth it, especially with the type of medicine that I get to practice it's really worth it because we're able to really dig deep and help people um, to take better care of themselves, but also to help educate them and to help them learn how to advocate for themselves. Um, the last thing I want my patients to think is that I'm going to tell them what they should do or should be doing or should have done. That's never an approach that I want to take. I like to meet them where they are and help educate them on their options and also teach them how to advocate for themselves as they try to navigate the medical system and also their own health care. Very nice. Yeah, it's it's nice. I mean, I always find a lot of joy when I meet anybody that is doing what they love to do, right? Like I feel like there are a lot of people in all walks of life who do who kind of are doing a job that they kind of fell into or that or that they thought they were supposed to do. I'm sure you know there are a lot of doctors who get into that field because it sounds prestigious or their, you know, their mom or dad was a doctor, or that's kind of the path that they um, were pushed towards uh, for that matter. And not that there aren't a lot of great doctors doing that too, but there, I do think in any job walk of life that someone who has a passion and a real joy for what they do is just going to be better at that job. I think so. And also get so much enjoyment out of it, too. I mean, don't we all want to get up every day and do something that we like to do yeah. and we get some joy out of doing it? It makes it that much more pleasurable for us as well. But yeah, definitely. And you meet with people who have all different types of careers and people who really enjoy what they do. It's inspiring. It's it creates a magnetism where you are drawn to that person in their field for what they do. And 
we're all happier for it, I believe. So yes, I mean, of course we all have bad days, right? Oh, sure, yeah. There, there are life. some days where I wanna be on a beach. A beach is my happy place. I love the water, as people would see if they went to my website, but I love to have challenges. I mean, we are so fortunate in my practice. I have so many super educated people and people who really do their due diligence and come to me and say, I learned about this new research study, or what do you think about this evidence-based article that I'm about to show you? So it really keeps me on my toes also in terms of keeping up with the most up-to-date information so that I can practice medicine for the future and with precision. Yeah, everybody's different. Everybody reacts to different um, medications or interactions or integrative therapeutics people react differently. And yeah. so we take a real personalized approach. Right, very nice. And again, especially with especially with be trying, wanting to become a physician, one, if you don't love it, it's a long path to get to be able, being able to do the job in and of itself. And then again, the you know, kind of something I'm sure we'll touch base on is the fact that, right, like we're obviously things like medicine and health and diets and all these things have gotten better and better over the last you know, number of years, couple of decades, which is why we're living longer. But at that same point in time, it leads to even, it leads to need, it leads in my opinion, to need to be more intentional with what you plan to do with your life anyway, because, you know, people graduate college or do stuff, you know, in your mid twenties and you still have 60 plus years of a work life left in front of you again, hopefully you're doing something you love. So it's awesome that you get to do that. Absolutely. I mean, don't you remember when you were in college, you couldn't wait to get out. Like, yes. I want this to be over. I want this to be over. <laughs> I want this to be over. I mean, now I look back and I think, oh, I try to encourage. I see a lot of college students in my practice. You know, you don't have to know what you're going to do when you graduate. However, stay in school if you feel like there's something else that you would like to do postgraduate level wise, because it flies by and then all of a sudden you really have to be an adult and be responsible for everything. And you don't want to make a decision that you're going to regret or race through something and not enjoy the process and also enjoy what you're doing because that will happen and it flies by. Yeah, no, I mean, there's a lot of great college memories. I still do not miss, you know, the test taking and any of those kind of things, but, right. um, but you know, yeah, there's a lot of uh, freedom that comes with being in college versus, uh, venturing right. out more more on your own right. um so kind of in that same vein of you know uh how life expecting stuff has changed in your time as a physician kind of what things you know as someone who tries to stay relatively healthy tries to you know do stuff knowing that uh as i've had a grandparents that have lived to be 100 um and stuff and so you think okay you could be on this earth for another 60 years I would like that to be as high a quality life as possible. And so you think of taking care of yourself, but how have you seen that shift? And, and do you feel like that shift really is in more and more, has, has been happening to more and more people? Because again, for when you're in it yourself, you feel like, oh, if I'm doing this, there must be a lot of people doing it that way. And obviously there's there are some, but there's some who don't. Have you, but have you seen kind of a, a shift in that type of focus for a lot of people at all? I think I've seen a lot more interest from an immune standpoint, people figuring out how do I boost my immune system so that I am as healthy as I possibly can be. Oh, I've really been advocating and I have found the need with my patients the last year to advocate for getting back to the basics and getting back to, are you getting proper nutrition and what does that look like for you? 
Are you sleeping? And if you're not, let's make sure that we address that and why, what the root cause of the problem is, that we're not just putting a Band-Aid on it or taking a medication, but really getting to the root cause of why is this happening? Where's the anxiety stemming from? Where are, you know, this extra stress that many people are carrying around and have been before 2020, but it just seems a little bit more pronounced with many people these days because of the expectations and certain fears and, you know, misinformation um, that is, that is spread, but also um, just the idea of trying to move on and wanting to be the best version that they can be of themselves. Um, and so to that end, a lot of times we will take into consideration different genetic testing to show predispositions. There's, there's, so much coming down the pipeline in terms of the future of medicine and using technology and using more advanced um, testing to be able to tell people what not only runs in their family, but what they might have a predisposition to, because we can't change our genetics, but we can change what we do with that information. Mm -hmm. And so it can be really helpful in, from a preventative standpoint. But getting back to the basics in terms of, okay, let's make this more simple. Let's break this down in terms of, I don't want you to be overwhelmed. If I'm recommending certain supplements, it's not because I want you to make expensive urine. It's because based on some labs that we did, it looks like you might be deficient in this area. If you can get it through whole foods, that is wonderful. Let's talk about what that looks like. Getting back down to the basics of what people could be doing on a daily basis, baby steps, not changing everything at once because that is very overwhelming baby steps in terms of what can we introduce into your life, into your diet, into your lifestyle and your habits, your routines, so that people don't feel as though here I am telling them what they should do or what they need to remove or what is bad that they are doing, because that's not necessarily the case. They might just need a little bit of guidance from a micronutrient perspective or from a sleep hygiene perspective um, or about what they might be able to do to help them feel better and so that longevity wise, they are the healthiest version of themselves, because you're right, we are living longer, and hopefully healthier lives. And that's the key, obviously, because you want to be as cognitively intact age gracefully, in order to live as long as possible in a healthy way. Yes, yeah, so sleep is one of those big ones that I think people don't always take as seriously as they should just because again life gets busy and it feels like you have to there's a lot of different things that you have to get done and um you know work that's get done stuff with kids appointments all those kind of things but uh it is a, a huge component of you know being healthy and, and be able to do those things while you're awake at as high a level as possible absolutely i promise you the way i got through medical school was power naps I could literally lay down and I, I trained myself to go to sleep within a few minutes and sleep for 25 to 30 minutes. And then I would wake up and go about my study day or study night or whatever was happening. The power naps, I love them. And a lot of people seem to have guilt about taking that break, even if they are just resting, closing their eyes and resting, if they don't necessarily fall asleep or get into a cycle of a deep sleep. Having just that rest, closing their eyes, stepping away from the screen, stepping away from their computer, which so many of us are spending a lot of our time on these days, allows their body to just take that break that is so much needed. And I was reading some information. I mean, obviously, if it takes somebody a long time to fall asleep, then there's a problem. And if it takes them no time at all to fall asleep, 
that's a problem. You know, we don't think about that being an issue. It's sort of like, oh, if you fall asleep within five minutes, that's a good thing. Not necessarily. It probably means you're sleep deprived. So taking those basic things into consideration and not feeling guilty for that part of the self-care is hugely important. And with proper sleep, we can think so much more clearly, like you just said, cognitively, we're much sharper. We have better focus and our mood is better if we get proper sleep. Yeah, no, and I remember seeing studies at one point in time, I mean, years ago, but I'm sure not a whole lot has changed that like from a driving perspective, like being sleep deprived is similar to being, you know, in, in a DUI, like in under the influence of alcohol or uh, other types of substances and stuff too. And so you don't, um, again, you don't think of the danger of that, but it's uh, very real. Absolutely, very. You mentioned um, some of the technology that's coming down, you know, down, in more and more into medicine, obviously on the pharmaceutical side, it's kind of, I mean, there's more stuff coming, but that's kind of been the first place where it seemed like technology was coming in. And that has, in my opinion, has had some good, some definitely some good things, but also potentially an over-reliance on some of those components. But you mentioned kind of some of the testing like DNA and, and genetic marker testing, which I imagine is has probably been extremely helpful in a lot of cases because the earlier you can detect a disease or a potential um, disease, the, the more likely you are to be able to take action to prevent it from becoming a serious issue. Right, definitely. It's very fascinating what is available now in terms of GNA te DNA testing for uh, particular genetic uh, cancers, uh, inherited susceptibility to developing certain cancers. There's salivary testing, there's blood testing, there's salivary testing for DNA markers for enzymes that metabolize everything that we ingest from a pharmaceutical or an integrative uh, supplement standpoint. And there is testing to see what our DNA, what our genetics tells us in terms of how we're going to metabolize that. Are we gonna slowly metabolize it? Are we going to quickly metabolize it? Would be more, we would be more likely to have a side effect or a risk of this problem or this problem or this problem with that medication. And you're able to really delineate that by using some of these genetic tests that are relatively new and very fascinating to look at. And oftentimes I find that when I do a test of that type with a patient that we're able to look back and say, wow, that explains something from the past, or that explains why you feel this way, or that explains why you may have more of a need for adrenaline rush type activities, or why when you took that one medication, you had a side effect different than when you took another medication that's similar to it, because they use different enzyme pathways. It's very, very fascinating. I love it because it really does bring home the personalization of medicine and you can be that much more precise in treating patients with utilizing those tools. And I just see probably more and more happening down the road in terms of what we're gonna be able to discover through that type of testing. For sure, yeah. Um, and so you obviously have now, how about how, about how long have you had your, pri your private practice here in Austin? I can't believe this. I opened in January of 2014, so yeah. almost eight years and, and now say what had you transitioned from obviously working in, in medical field to deciding mm -hmm. to open your own practice? 
my practice was born out of house calls, believe it or not. I started doing house calls and then eventually I was driving around our lovely Austin traffic. And even at that time, eight years ago, nine years ago, it was getting pretty thick. And I decided that I probably needed a brick and mortar spot to be able to see people and not just go to their home. And so I transitioned into that, still offering house calls. And I still offer house calls to this day. Um, prior to that, what I had been doing was I had been doing some injury work with a chiropractic clinic. I had been doing some work with the dermatologist. I had been doing a lot of urgent care work and some hospitalist work. And I had been doing some other independent contracting with them, some other uh, family medicine clinics after I finished residency prior to starting my practice. Nice. And so what's kind of been maybe one of the bigger, what, what was, as you were starting, what was maybe one of the bigger challenges with kind of starting your own practice? I think that one of the biggest challenges, Troy, is running a business because I didn't learn that in medical school and my undergrad is not in business. And that is one of my biggest regrets. I wish that I had taken a business class. I had no idea how to do that. I just sort of had this mentality of, I want to practice medicine. I want to treat the patients. I don't want to have to learn how to run a business. Well, I wouldn't say that I said I didn't want to have to learn how to do it, but I will say that I thought I don't know how to do it. And so the last eight years, I've, I've been definitely doing a business 101 and made a lot of mistakes along the way. But learning how to run a business when you are in private practice is a whole different ballgame. And there are certain parts of it that I absolutely love. And there are others that I really just want to be left to practice medicine. <laughs> but it's been an interesting journey and quite no. an interesting learning experience. I think for like a lot of people who um, get into a field and then decide they kind of want the freedom to kind of do it on their own, like, right, like it's they usually, while you, I'm sure you enjoy the freedom you have of having your own practice from a patient standpoint, a lot of those same types of people, regardless of the, of the industry they get into, don't necessarily um, get into it for the business side of it, but it's just kind of one of those necessary evils of having to do, you know, having to do your, the financials and paperwork and some of those kind of things. And you're like, no, I want to help. I want to see patients. I want to spend my time, you know, studying and find, figuring out those, the new things that are coming into medicine and how they can help the people that I interact with. You're absolutely right. And if I had my way, I would prefer just to do the practice of medicine. However, in private practice, you know, I have a really close relationship with a lot of my patients. Most of my patients, I try to establish that rapport. And so you do end up dealing with the business part of things because you want to follow through on people's tests and their imaging. And you want to make sure that all of the administrative things that do end up helping the practice of medicine are taken care of. And so we do a lot of navigating with our patients and handholding them through the process of the specialist that we may need to send them to or the CAT scan that we may need to send them for. And a lot of that is more administrative and not necessarily the practice of medicine, but it is important and it leads to better continuity with patients and that leads to better patient care. And because of the nature of my medical practice and the relationship that we have with patients and that we're a very small boutique family practice, we are able to do that where we're not caught in a wheel of so much administrative overload, for mm. lack of a better word, that we're able to do that on a very um, individualized basis. However, I still wish that I would have taken a business class. Yeah. <laughs> No, it's, uh, yeah, there's always, there, again, there's always plenty of stuff that it's one of those you don't know what you don't know, right? There's plenty of stuff that you, 
um, would have been, I'm sure, beneficial. At the same point in time, though, how much of that at that time would you have retained, right? Like I, I took two years of Spanish and don't speak any Spanish whatsoever. So it's like if you, yeah, unless at the time you felt like you were going to really start your own practice while you were in school, would you, how much of that information would you have retained? And 15 plus years later, how much of it is still the same, uh, the same important information versus what they would have taught 15, 20 years ago? Right. Definitely a very valid point. So you mentioned you have the two locations here in the Austin area. Where are they located? So my practice in central Austin is very close to the University of Texas, right in that medical district near St. David's main hospital, right off of Red River, just a block west of I-35. So it's very central. And my Lakeway practice is out here right next to the Vic ER, um, right on Highway 620, right in the Oaks at Lakeway. And I split my time between the two. And then obviously house calls or wherever that needs to happen. And then after hours or urgent care, I'm available to my patients and can meet them at either location, depending on where they live. And do you end up, I'm assuming, having two very different types of patient clientele based on the locations? You know, it's interesting. I wasn't sure how that would play out. I think the most significant difference is that I have a lot of UT students in my central practice. But I have some people who need to be seen potentially that day in person, and they will come to the other. We're not that far apart from each other, but I would say definitely the Lakeway practice draws from uh, people who live even further west, you know, the Spicewood area, um, Kerrville, even uh, New Braunfels. And then the central practice, I've had people come from Killeen, um, East Austin, Central Austin, Crestview, Rosedale that area, Northwest Hills, but um, we are also doing a lot of telemedicine. So if it's not convenient for people to go to either location, then we uh, can meet them online as well for certain things we can yeah. do. Yeah, and that's been a huge thing, obviously, in, any, in every industry. Was that something that you were doing a lot of prior to the pandemic? Or, I mean, I'm, sure, been, I'm sure that ramped yes. it up regardless, but... Yes, it ramped it up for sure in March of 2020, but we were doing telemedicine, not as much, but we had it as a capability that we were definitely doing with patients and it's going to be here forever. I'm sure there's a lot of patients who really like it. And for certain things, it's really nice, like a lab review meeting or to go over certain things or to triage patients to see um, what they might need to do if they need to go to the hospital ER, if they need to come into my office for testing. Um, if they are concerned about, you know, the flu or COVID, we do testing for all of that in my office. But if they're just not sure and they want to jump on a video call quickly to let me know what their symptoms are, then that's fine, too. And some people don't feel well enough to leave the house. And so we utilize it for that. But, yes, we were doing telemedicine before the pandemic started last March. And um, it's definitely ramped up and then back down a little bit now. We're probably doing 40 percent telemedicine, 60 percent in office. And that's, you said that's been coming down a little bit as we've kind of started to get um, back to more normal levels. Yes, definitely. And I love seeing people in office. I was just telling a patient that this morning because they were asking me a question 
And I, I, I said, I love seeing patients in office after all of this time. And patients will call and say, well, are you doing in-office visits? And I'm thinking, yeah, we've been doing them the whole time. Please come in, come in, come in. Because a lot of people just don't realize, I think, that, um, sure. that they can come into the office. And they definitely can. So I love seeing them in person. And there's some visits that need to be, happen in office because there are certain exam modalities yes. that need to be utilized that we just can't do on telemedicine. Yeah. yeah they don't have, uh, you know, unless you send them to Target to get their blood pressure taken and give you the results, it's hard to get some of those <laughs> different tests well, done. And it, yeah. And it's a little funny, not funny. A lot of people have a pulse ox now these days, right? Mm -hmm. Because they bought the pulse ox during the pandemic just to double check. And so we're able to get those. And I have many patients who um, do have a blood pressure cuff at home now, or they have certain technology that's wearable devices or wearable technology where they can even get an EKG um, to check their cardiac rhythm and um, can check their blood pressure at home. But um, many exams clearly sure. need to happen in the office. As I say, how do you, how do you see, cause there is, uh, again, as someone who's, you know, trying who tries to generally be somewhat proactive, on the fitness stuff, you do start to see a lot of things, obviously like, you know, Apple watches and O-rings and all these different stuff that, you know, more focus on, you know, are you getting your steps in and, and, and those types of things. But theoretically they have heart rate monitors on them and EKG kind of things and all these different um, types of potential readings and things. Is there, are you seeing a lot more technology happen that way that's use, useful in a true medical sense? Because again, there's also talk and thoughts about like, oh yeah, it says you're getting the, you know, how accurate is the information that this device is giving you? Is it giving you more ballpark stuff? Is it giving you uh, information that's accurate to, again, take to a doctor and kind of give, get legitimate results from? Yeah, I think that's a great question because obviously there's good technology and then there's some that's not so great. Um, a lot of times what I'll do to make sure that we're getting precise information from home to office is when they come in for their visit, I'll say, bring your devices, bring your blood pressure cuff, bring your pulse ox. Let's check yours with you and mine with you and let's see how they measure up because we want to make sure that we are getting the most accurate and precise information. With regard to heart rhythms, we can sometimes put a heart patch monitor on a patient that they then wear for a couple of weeks. The more data, the better. So I ask them to wear it as long as they can. Some people don't wanna tolerate it for more than seven days or so. Um, and I've had some people who've worn it even shorter, but we can get that information, the heart rhythm, we can get any cardiac events that are on that monitor. And then the report comes back to me. And it's something that is super easy for the patient to do because it just literally sticks on the skin on their chest. So there's all types of different ways where we can get that data. Some devices, obviously, yes, are better than the others. And there's many opinions out there about what is what. But the best way for me to figure that out with patients is to just have them bring it in and then we can check it against what my devices say. Yeah. And again, it's one of those that regardless, Pete, you know, someone who is being proactive in that way, even if the information isn't 100% accurate, is probably being more consciously healthy in a lot of their decision making and is getting some uh, feedback there, right? For similar kind of for people who want to lose weight, like it's not necessarily always the number on the scale because that can fluctuate over the course of a day and a couple of days without the true, true meaningful differences. But if you're having, if you have even slightly inaccurate numbers to use as a baseline for numbers going forward, that does give you some idea of trends of health and, and things too. 
Absolutely. I agree with that. A hundred percent. Yes. So um, kind of on a lighter note, I've been asking a lot of my guests lately to uh, what's their kind of their current favorite Austin restaurant as a way to kind of get a list of oh my goodness restaurants that might be of interest to different people. The, the excuse that I'm using is that one of my favorites, uh, Interstellar Barbecue, which is a relatively new place up in North Austin, was recently reviewed by Texas Monthly as the second best barbecue place in the state of Texas. So now my favorite barbecue place has long lines and makes me wait. And so, you know, maybe we can uh, show some love to a restaurant that you love. And I mean, hopefully you don't have long lines for to have to wait, but uh, need to get the word out. So is there has oh there been gosh. one or two that you've really uh, kind of enjoyed lately? I am so behind. I heard of two restaurants just this morning that are that have been around for a little while that are apparently delicious, wonderful, that I haven't even been to. I am so behind. Um, I don't have a great one. Now, local, no. right, right around the corner from our clinic here in Lakeway is Hudson's, you know, Hill Country mm-hmm. that reopened a couple of years ago. And we'll go there every now and then more for the ambiance. The food is wonderful. It's more farm to table and wild game if you're into that sort of thing. I always order the vegetarian option and get ridiculed at our table, but that's okay. It's delicious. I love it. Um, but otherwise, gosh, I hate to be such a bummer for you. I don't have other good restaurant recommendations. Yeah. I haven't gone out to as many restaurants as I could, should, you know, like not, not that, not that you have to go to restaurants, but right, sure. like, it's just, I think can been kind of one of those things that it's been probably not as high in people's list to go try as many mm-hmm. new places um and or venture out as much as uh, as we have yet or in the past you know i had a actually i had a great early dinner last week at juliet in the arboretum because they have a great patio i'm always now i find myself on the search for great patios to go to especially with our weather and just to be outside in the open air they i had a great um sort of um hors d'oeuvre appetizer early dinner i called it dinner and then yesterday i had a great lunch from flower child have you eaten there Mm. oh it's delicious it's it's really whole foods and um it's not all vegetarian but they do a lot of good plant-based dishes and i was pretty impressed with everything that i've had from there but i need to get out more to some of the more local restaurants because well those three are local i think but um i need to get out more because yeah. No, I have some plans to try to next time we talk with a better idea. Yeah. yeah. I have some plans at the start of the new year to try to hit hit some additional try just try out some different places and stuff. So we'll see how how well that works. But uh that's kind of one of the goals. That's a great idea. So, Good idea. But I really appreciate taking Good the time to uh to jump on and chat. And it's uh always super interesting to hear uh your story and kind of what's going on in, in the world of uh, family medicine. Well, thank you, Troy. So good to see you. Nice to be here. I hope you have a wonderful holiday. Thanks. Appreciate it. Have a great day, everyone. You too. Bye.